The uh, scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13. It's, uh, you can find it on page 818 through 819 in your pew Bibles. I'll give you a second to find it. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. It's our custom at Christ Community Church to, to stand for the reading of God's word. So we stand with me. Matthew 13 and 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with it. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then moving down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. So have you ever noticed how long distances have a way of playing tricks on your eyes? You know, from far away, if you're looking at the horizon, uh, from a long distance, everything just kind of looks flat, doesn't it? And especially, you you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever driven up to the mountains, like you you take I-40 up to the mountains, or you you take kind of 421 if you're going up to Boone, that's the way I like to go. So you're you're driving up and you're leaving the flat country uh, where we are, and then as you go, you start to see the mountains on the horizon. And it looks like they're just kind of a flat line, doesn't it? I mean, it just looks like all the mountains are just right up next to each other. And from one peak to another, it looks like the distance might be a mile at most. 
You know, I mean, they're just right close up next to each other. But then when you get into the mountains, you realize that these two peaks that look just flat from far away, that look two dimensional, there's like 50, 100 miles in between them. Once you get into the mountains, you realize that this thing, it goes on forever. What used to be two dimensional, then as soon as you get to it becomes three dimensional. Now, we've been talking about the kingdom of God together these last couple of weeks. And for hundreds of years, when God's people looked at the coming of the kingdom of God from far off, it looked like this flat, two-dimensional, all-at-once event. They looked at it and they thought, okay, when the kingdom comes, it's just going to come. And then we'll be there and it'll be all at once and it'll be like crossing a line into the next state. Like south of the border, cross the line, I'm in South Carolina now. I'll go buy fireworks. But no, they're saying... What, they, what looked like this flat all-at-once event, what you realize when Jesus comes is he's saying it's, it's not happening all at once. The kingdom has come with Jesus, and it's also coming. It's begun, and it's going to keep continuing until the close of the age. So this event that from a long ways off just looked flat and two-dimensional, now we see it has depth and breadth. And indeed, it's, I mean, it's been continuing for almost 2,000 years now. We live in this new age where the kingdom has come and is still coming. And so in these series of parables that we've been looking at in Matthew 13, Jesus reveals some aspect of the coming of the kingdom of God that's maybe different from what the disciples' expectations would be. In the parable of the sower that we saw a couple weeks ago, you see that the proclamation of the king's message goes out and it's rejected and it's resisted. It's, it's like seed that's sowed on concrete. And then in uh, two weeks ago, Paul told us about the, uh, the parable of the net, that when the kingdom of God goes out, that at the close of the age, it's going to be like a net that brings in all kinds of people. And that there's going to be a separation at the end of time. And it's not going to be between believers and unbelievers, people who are in the kingdom and people who are out of the kingdom. The separation is going to be from two kinds of people in the kingdom. From true believers and false believers. That was a surprise. The disciples weren't expecting that. And then here in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we see these same common elements. We see the gradual growth of the kingdom. And we see judgment at the end of the age. But there's an important new twist. In this parable, God explains himself to us. Now, God doesn't need to explain himself to human beings He knows everything. He's got great reasons for doing everything. And and we don't always need to know. But in this case, I I think Jesus knew that that we might want to know. We might want to know why he was ordering history the way he was. Why the kingdom didn't come all at once. Why he didn't come and with him bring judgment and put everything right all at once. And so Jesus is showing us that at this stage in human history... Evil people and evil forces are still going to remain and they're going to surround God's community and they're even going to be mixed in among God's community. And the reason Jesus has for allowing them to remain is that this arrangement is for our good and for God's glory. You see, God knows us. He knows how we think. He knows that evil and suffering are going to come to his people and we're going to be tempted to doubt his goodness, and we're going to be tempted to doubt his power and control. He knows that throughout history, his people are going to look back and they're going to see there there was real evil. There's real evil that's happened since you died and were raised, Jesus. 
And he knows that we're going to ask, what are you waiting for? Why haven't you come back yet? Why haven't you put everything right? And so today he tells us exactly what he's waiting for. What we find out this morning is that God is waiting for the maximum number of people to come to repent and believe in him. And the main idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, the main idea that I want you to just be, just be set in your bones when you walk out of this door and live your life for the rest of the week is that the king is in control of his kingdom. Remember that the king is in control of his kingdom. He's got it. He's got a handle on it. His rule and reign has broken into the world and it is growing and it's spreading from 2000 years ago from and in the beginning of time all the way up until now. And it has a momentum that began at the beginning and his plans will not be thwarted. He, his will is going to be done. And since the king is in control of his kingdom, he has a purpose for allowing evil to remain. He has a plan for dealing with evil in the future. And he has a promise for his people as we wait and trust in him. So, so let's look at the parable here in verse 24. And we see that Jesus has a purpose for allowing evil to remain. I'll, I'll just summarize the parable for you. So the farmer plants, he sows seed, he sows good seed, reliable seed, seed that's going to produce really good crop. And uh, if he plants wheat, what, what's he expecting? Wheat. I mean, he's planting wheat seeds and he's expecting good wheat, a good harvest of wheat. And so then while he's waiting, an enemy comes. And the enemy comes and tries to mess up the farmer's field. It's kind of like uh, eco-terrorism. Maybe vandalism. I mean, he's just abusing the farmer's field and he's trying to mess everything up. So an enemy comes and he sows all these weeds among the wheat. And then the, the servants come back and they ask the farmer, uh, hey, do you know what's happened to your field? Do you know what's going on? And we might ask, Lord, do you know what's going on in your world? Lord, do you know what's going on in your church? Are you aware? And this is what he says. Yeah, I know what's going on. I'm aware of what happened. Look, you, you see, uh, does he know what he's doing? Is he in control of the field? Yes. At every point, the farmer knows exactly what's going on in his field and what the wisest way is to deal with it. Notice, who's asleep when the enemy plants the seed? Is the farmer asleep? No, the servants are asleep. So, of course, the servants, when they come to the farmer, they're going... Uh, what happened? Because we just slept for a little while and it, it seems like everything's wrecked. But we know from Psalm 121, the Lord doesn't slumber or sleep. He's never caught by surprise. And so the Lord says, I know exactly what happened. The enemy did this. I didn't plant those. The enemy plant those, planted those. And they go, well, um, aren't you a little bit worried about the harvest? Uh, shouldn't we go and weed it right now before the weeds ruin the harvest? And Jesus says, the Lord, the farmer says, don't you dare. Don't you dare pull out those weeds. Why? I mean, you'll notice the contrast between the servants and the farmer. The servants, totally freaked out, totally worried, and in a real hurry to rip out all the weeds from the field. Because they're nervous, right? But look at the farmer, utterly confident. He knows what's happening, and he's patient. He says, no, 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 we can take our time with this. And why is he waiting? Why does he wait? What's his purpose for waiting? What's the Lord's purpose for allowing the weeds to remain in the field? Look, this question is the turning point of the entire parable. 
Anytime that you have a question posed to God about something that's going on, about something really big, like the presence of evil mixed in with the world, like the presence of uh, Satan's work in the world, you, you, you listen. You go, well, what's God going to say to this? This is a good question. I want to ask this question. This is what he says. He says, I'm waiting because I'm concerned about the wheat. Now look, what's the farmer thinking about the whole time? Is he worried? Uh, is he preoccupied with the weeds? No, no. He looks and he doesn't pull the weeds out out of mercy for who? The wheat. The reason he allows the weeds to stay is that he doesn't want to lose a single stalk of wheat, a single head of grain. He is jealous to see every last bit of seed that he plants come to, come to full fruition. And so people are asking, and people have asked throughout history, Lord, what are you doing? I mean, pe- people ask this question to the Apostle Peter, and you see it in Second Peter chapter 3. He answers the question, what's the Lord waiting for? Why, why hasn't he weeded out all the evil out of the world yet? And this is what Peter says. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. He's not waiting too long. As some understand slowness. He's not slow as you might understand slowness. Instead, the Lord is being patient with you. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But instead, he wants everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is being patient with his field. The Lord is being patient with the presence of evil in his kingdom. For the sake of the church. For the sake of his people. And for the sake of everyone else who he might call to repentance. Now, you know this. I mean, timing is everything when it comes to weeding in your garden or pruning something. If you have azaleas in your garden, you know what I'm talking about. Because you get azaleas and when springtime comes, it's just that one week period almost where it's beautiful. But if you, if you prune them too soon... I mean, you're going you're gonna to lose all the blooms. And if you wait too long to prune, then, I mean, they just go crazy and they're like 20 feet tall. So there's this little window of a couple weeks where if you prune it at just the right time, you get the maximum beauty. You get the maximum yield. And our Lord is a master gardener. He knows just when to weed. He knows just when to prune to get maximum glory, maximum beauty, the maximum yield in his kingdom. So we know that he has a purpose for allowing evil to remain. And it's not really that hard to trust that the Lord's got a plan, that the Lord's got it under control when things are going our way. Am I right? But as soon as we're aware of the brokenness of the world, we watch a YouTube video about something horrible that's, that's happening across the country. Uh, we uh, read news stories about people getting murdered. Uh, you get a phone call with a diagnosis from a doctor. You hear about a loved one. You learn of some wickedness that's happened in the life of someone that you care about. And you start to go, Lord, are you, do you have this? Lord, do, do, are you really in control? What are you doing? And the Lord, I think, wants us to know. He's doing what's best. 
He's doing what's best for his church. He's doing what's best for his kingdom. He's doing what's best for his people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone, all of his children, to come to know him. So the Lord says, just wait. Just wait and trust. And while we wait and grieve appropriately and wonder and trust, we have some repenting to do, do we not? Of wanting things to happen on our own timeline. And we have to trust in the king and we pray for the spread of the gospel. Because we see that every time someone comes into the kingdom, every time someone becomes a child of God, we know history's marching on. The harvest, it, 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 it's happening. We can see the wheat coming up and we know things are getting closer. So we rejoice and we wait and we trust because we don't know when the harvest is ready. That's a mystery. Only the Lord knows that. And because the king is in control of his kingdom, because he's good, because he's in control of the harvest, we know that at the end of time, he will judge rightly. Because the king is totally in control of his kingdom, we know that his plan for dealing with evil in the age, of, in the age to come is going to be perfect. So let's look at his plan. This is in verses 40 through 42. What's his plan for dealing with the weeds? What's his plan for dealing with evil? This is what it says at the end of the age when the time is right and only he knows when that is. The king will send his angels into the kingdom. They will gather up the weeds. They will pluck out of the kingdom of God all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So you see that he's, he's taking out of the kingdom. He's pruning all evil forces, all temptations, weaknesses that cause doubt and distraction and death. All those are going to be wiped away. And not only that, he's taking out of the kingdom all lawbreakers. Uh, those who live in disregard of God's law. The, the, the Greek word here means people who are without law. Uh, the people who resist God's commands, um, either because they aren't interested in obeying God or because they, they don't know what God says. And so the picture here is uh, these are the people who are, who are the anti-law, uh, the, the ones who have said, God, I don't want to follow your law. I'm not interested in what your rules are. I make my own rules. My life is like Outback Steakhouse. No rules. That's what I want to do. And so they they they. Shrug off. They, they spurn the Lord's correction. And these are the people that the Lord says are gathered up by the king's angels and they're thrown into hell. I mean, this is really hard teaching. I feel like, by the way, I always get the really difficult passages to preach on. But this is this is hard. This is hard to say. And if anyone has any thought that Jesus is just all warm and fuzzy and Old Testament God is all judgment and vengeance and New Testament Jesus is warm and fuzzy and he's all nice. I mean, have you read the book of Revelation? Have you read this? And this is true. This is in the Bible. Jesus says there will be a time of judgment where these forces and these people are going to be burned like we burn yard waste. He's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. That, that's what hell is this is a picture of hell and he says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth without dwelling too much on that that means there's going to be conscious sorrow there's going to be conscious grief there's going to be conscious pain and punishment uh, this isn't a fairy tale this this isn't something that 
someone just made up and, and put in this book. This, this is true. And so we can see, can we not, why it's important for God to be the one to weed the field and not us. Amen? I mean, I, I don't want to trust myself to do this. And, and I don't think you want to trust yourself either. Because uh, Jesus says he knows what the plan is. If, if his servants are, know, they're going to be the ones to do it. And it's just, it's too difficult. Let's look at this. What, why is it too difficult? Oh, well, for one, the, the enemy puts weeds right in next to the wheat. And the, the word here that is used for weed, you might see a little note in the bottom of your Bible. It's, it's not just any old weed. It's not like you have a, um, like a fern next to a pine tree. No, it's, it's, like, it's a weed that looks just like wheat. It's a weed that it would take an expert eye to notice. It's the difference between real gold and fool's gold. And so he's saying it's just too difficult to judge. So human beings, fallible people, you, you can't make the judgment. And this is the same lesson from the parable of the net that Paul talked about a couple weeks ago. That there's all these people who we would say are, are caught up in the kingdom. But God and his angels, they, they make a judgment between people who are transferred into the kingdom and people who are really transformed. And that's a heart issue, is it not? And so Jesus is saying, it, I'm the one who judges the hearts of men. You can't do that. Now, that doesn't mean that in the meantime, we shouldn't have any kind of concern for church discipline or, or church purity, that there's, there's no way for us to judge anything with other people because all throughout the Bible, God gives us instructions for how to do church discipline. I mean, you can look at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 or Matthew 18, that God's saying, yeah, you should be concerned about purity. You should be concerned about not encouraging people to just remain in sin. I mean, I can judge the difference between people's actions, whether they're godly or not. But I, can I know the motivation of their heart? I mean, you can judge the difference between a sheep and a wolf. But do you know the difference between God's sheep and other sheep? Only God knows. It's too difficult to judge. So God says, it has to be up to me. And not only that, is it too difficult, it's too important it's too vital. It's too crucial. This is eternal destiny at stake here. And so because the stakes are so high, sin has to be judged sinlessly. Sin has to be judged righteously. A judgment has to be made and the judgment must be done justly. And only God can judge sin sinlessly. You and I cannot do that. If you've ever tried, you know what I'm talking about. Our anger, our pride, our resentment, it all gets wrapped up in it, does it not? And so this is what God says. God says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, I, I know I can play the game of operation, which is, it's like a really lame facsimile of doing surgery. Because the stakes are really low. I mean, all you get, if you make a mistake in the game of operation, it's just a little bit of buzz and it's no big deal. Uh, but heart surgery, brain surgery in a plane at 20,000 feet with no tools. I don't want to do that. I want a skilled surgeon to make those choices and to make that call. And what Jesus is saying is this business of weeding, this isn't the game of operation. This is brain surgery. So you need a skilled hand. You need someone with wisdom. You need someone with power. You need someone with discernment. Only God 
is the one who gets to do this judgment. And this truth should both convict and comfort us. It should convict us because we know there is going to be a judgment. And the people who are going to be judged, it says, are, are the lawless people. The people who, who reject God's correction. And so the question I have for you, and for me too, is how do you feel about God's law? How do you feel about God's commands? Are they delightful to you, like the psalmist says? Are his commands sweeter than honey? Do you, are you just kind of a fan of the Bible? Or does it shape your life? Does it rule you? Do you submit to God's word? Or, or do you, are you anti-law? Next, uh, this should comfort us because we know the Lord is going to do the judgment. That doesn't have to, that, that burden does not rest with you. Ultimately, he's the one who's going to decide. Amen? I mean, that's, that's good news. I don't want to have to do that. But God is saying there will be a time when evil is judged. And as Genesis 18 says, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? He will. He's not going to throw away the righteous with the unrighteous. He knows people's hearts. And when he makes a just judgment, it's going to be good. We can trust it. So while we wait on God to make the world right again, we grieve at the presence of evil uh, within us and without us. And we live in this time where the, where the ages are overlapped, where, where the kingdom has come and the kingdom is still coming. And, and we're coming toward a day that Jesus calls the end of the age. And that day will not just be a time of judgment. It's also going to be a time of celebration for God's people. This is the moment that all of human history has been leading up to. You know, don't believe what the history books say. Don't believe what all the magazines say about what the most important events are, about what the, who the most important people are. It's all, all of human history is a story of the unfolding of God's plan for his church, for his people. And it's all leading up to that. It's all culminating with that, with a new heaven and a new earth and a renewed creation and us being with God in fellowship with renewed bodies. This moment is the glorious promise that the king holds out to his people as we wait and trust in him. And you see it in this parable. It's right here in verse 43. This is what he says. He says, then, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Or as another translation puts it, I love this. This is from the message. It says, then ripe, holy lives will mature and adorn the kingdom of their father. Isn't that beautiful? When the harvest comes, holy lives that have been waiting their whole life to become ripe and mature, there's going to be a harvest. And it's going to be beautiful. And this word then at the beginning, it's such a little word at the beginning of verse 43, but I think it makes all the difference. Because the Lord is saying, I know that you're asking when. When is it going to be? When's everything going to be set right? When's all the pain going to be done? When's all the confusion going to be over? And he's saying, I'll tell you when. When the time is right, then. That's the time when you're going to get to shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. This should feel like a big sigh of relief. That's what that word then should feel like. It should be like, then, oh, finally, finally, that's, that, that's when it's going to happen. That day, after all the clouds have been swept from the sky, the sun is going to shine. Now 
in this time, in this time in between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, the righteous of the world, they grieve and they weep. They're rejected and they're opposed and they're persecuted and they're ridiculed, they're marginalized and looked down upon. But then, then they will leap and dance and sing and eat in the presence of their king in the kingdom. Now God's people are hungry and thirsty for purity and for righteousness. And then in God's presence, we will eat and drink and we will never be thirsty again. Our king is preparing a place for us in a newer, better kingdom that this present age only hints at. We see a sliver of what it's going to be like. As C.S. Lewis says, sometimes the, the pleasures in this life even though they're just a sliver, uh, like a slight refraction of heavenly pleasure, sometimes they're too much for us. But there's going to be a day when we get to drink from the waterfall. What is that going to be like? To be in God's presence. And in this place, there's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any death. There won't be any pain. There won't be any sickness. There's no wheelchairs in heaven. There's no walkers in heaven. There's no crutches in heaven. There's no kidney dialysis or life support systems in heaven. There's no oxygen tanks in heaven. There's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no abuse. There's no disease. There's no disappointment. There's only fulfillment. All the things in this present world that dim the brightness of God's glory, the things that that make the pleasure in this world sour, they're all going to be gone. And look, th- this is so beautiful. Th- this, when, when I saw this, this amazed me. The full number of God's people will be there. Notice, okay, so the enemy comes and he tries to sow weeds in the field and he tries to mess up the harvest. Do you have any indication that the enemy did anything to damage the amount of harvest that the Lord gets at the end of time? No. No. I mean, No matter what Satan tries to do, no matter what he tries to do to God's church, it does not work. It will not thwart God's plan. He will lose none of the ones that his father has given him. I love this. In in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, Okay, you're my sheep. You're my sheepfold. But I've got other sheep. And they're not in the sheepfold. I must go and get them. He says, I must go and do it. I'm dead set against getting those other sheep. And when I get them, I will call them. And when I call them, they will hear me. And when they hear me, they will come. I mean, you can't get any more sure than that. He says, I've got people all over the world from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I've got wheat that I've planted in places you have no idea about. And when the harvest is ripe, I'm not going to lose any of it. So what are we supposed to do? We get busy. We pray. We wait. We get excited. And we hope. Because we know that this isn't just a future promise. That's this kind of pie in the sky thing. That yeah, that'll be great in a million years. We'll all love heaven. No, the Bible says that this hope changes the way that we live right now. This says that even though it's dark now, even though we struggle and we grieve, we look ahead to the promise of heaven. And even as we groan and we realize that that things aren't as they were promised to be, 
in first Peter uh, chapter one, this is what it says. Even though we wait and we suffer all kinds of trials, God has prepared an inheritance for you that can never perish, spoil or fade. And God is keeping it for you. You're being protected by God's power now until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed. And in all of this, as you wait and you hope and you trust, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, even just for, for this brief, you know, blink of an eye, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer all kinds of trials. But these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine of greater worth than gold, which perishes because your faith, when it's opposed, when it's burned by the fire, it doesn't perish. It just gets bigger and more beautiful and it shines brighter. There's nothing that the enemy can do to take away from the Lord's harvest because the king is in control of his kingdom. But this promise is for the righteous, is it not? This is what it says. It says the righteous are the ones who are going to shine like the sun in God's kingdom. And if you're honest with yourself, you look at yourself and you just think about your thoughts. Don't even think about your actions. Well, even don't even think about your thoughts. Think about your actions. Those are easier to judge, as we've seen. Over the last week, righteous or unrighteous, pure or mixed. Now your motivations, pure or mixed. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, as you walk with him longer, you go, man, I am, I'm aware that I am not as righteous as I ought to be. So what am I supposed to do? Because this promise is for the righteous. Well, the Lord says. The Lord says he hasn't come to call the righteous. He's come to call sinners to repentance and belief in him. So as an unrighteous person, as a sinner, when you hear the call, you respond. You say, yeah, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. Because the Lord has provided a way to destroy sin without destroying sinners. And that's by putting sin on our Savior, our substitute, Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, when we believe in the gospel, sinners are turned righteous in the eyes of God. Because Jesus is a good king, because he's in control of his kingdom, we can trust his timing. He knows every hair on our head. He knows the number of every blade of grass in his field. He knows it's going to be difficult for us to wait. But he's given us a promise worth waiting for. There's going to be a great harvest one day. All kinds of people, all kinds of sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All kinds of forgiven sinners who have been made righteous will be called home. And it's going to be a bigger and more beautiful harvest than we could ever ask or imagine. So we can rest in his judgments and we can wait patiently. The king is in control of his kingdom. Remember that. Let's pray together. Father God. At this point in human history, we grieve, we suffer, we groan because we know that things aren't yet what they will be. We were made for heaven and uh, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here or for those uh, who know what it is to, to have the joy of forgiveness of sin and uh, of fellowship with you and, and for those who maybe don't know that yet, or that they would come and that they would hear your call to turn and trust in you and believe and place their hope in you, place their delight in your law.
learn to walk with you. Learn what it means to be a, a child of God, a citizen of your kingdom. We thank you that you are sovereignly in control over all things. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.